We are so glad that you are here this morning, so glad that you've chosen to worship with us this day, and I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to preach before you this morning. You know, every Sunday is special here at Oldham Lane, and uh, I love these people, I love this church family, and I hope that you find that you uh, have a warm reception if you're a guest of ours this morning and feel like that you are welcomed, because we certainly want you to feel that way. You know, back in uh, the 17th century in London, more than 70,000 people were, were killed by a, a black death, they called it. You may re remember it known as the plague. And doctors at that time were ignorant about the plague. It was called the black death because of two reasons. One, because of the ignorance of the doctors, the black cloud that hung over uh, the situation, but also because of the black splotches that were left on the victims' bodies. You see, doctors thought that the black plague was caused by air pollution, when in reality it was caused by rats, more specifically the fleas that were on the rats. But because doctors thought that it was air pollution, they would get the victims out into a rose garden and they would circle up and hold hands and breathe in the fragrant aroma of the roses, thinking that that fragrance, fragrance would replace the polluted air in their lungs. Of course, it didn't work. Even those who couldn't get out and the doctors had to make house calls, they would take petals of roses from their pockets and sprinkle them around the bed of the victim. Again, hoping that they would inhale the fragrant aroma and that it would cure them, but it didn't. If they were on their deathbed, if they were close to death, they would actually take the rose petals and burn them and take the ashes and hold them up to the noses of the victims, hoping that that would clear out their lungs, but it didn't work. But what did come out of this was a, a cute little song. Because the guy that was in charge of pushing the death cart that picked up all the dead bodies and took them to the cemetery could be heard strolling around singing a little song, Ring Around the Rosies, pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. Rather morbid that that little nursery rhyme comes from the plague era. But it does highlight something that is absolute truth, and that is we all fall down. We all do. Every single one of you here this morning is going to die. You realize that, don't you? Now, there has been said that there are two certainties in life, death and taxes. But there have been a lot of people who've successfully avoided paying their taxes. Nobody successfully avoided death. The death rate currently stands at 100%, and it will continue at that rate because no one is getting out of here alive. Every one of you is terminal. And the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, exposes this. Genesis 3, 19 reads, By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Solomon reminds us in Ecclesiastes 7 and 2 that death is the destiny of every man. And it's in Romans 5, 12 that Paul reminds us that just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread like a plague to all men, because all sin. We are all stricken this morning. We are all terminally ill. I heard a coach the other day talk about his injured player by saying, well, he's just day-to-day. -day. Aren't we all? We're all day-to-day. Moment-by-moment, really. None of us are getting out of here alive. And we don't like this thought. And because we don't like this thought, we do our best to anesthetize death or to make it more palatable, right? 
We talk about death as someone who's, you know, they, they passed on. They went home to their reward. It just sounds better, doesn't it? We do everything we can to avoid death. We get Botox and we do CrossFit and we eat kale and all these different things because we want to be as healthy as we possibly can be. And who can blame us, right? I mean, certainly you want to be the healthiest version of yourself. I mean, there's no denying that it's a good thing to try to be healthy and try to live as long as you can. But at the end of the day, none of us are getting out of here alive. And how much is fear a factor in all this? Are we running from death like those people did in London back in the 17th century? When I was living in Cassville, Missouri and preaching there, it was a small congregation in a small town, and we had a church member by the name of Bud A. Thomas. And Bud was a jovial, light-hearted kind of guy. Everyone loved Bud Thomas. He lived in Purdy, Missouri, about 10 miles down the road, which was an even smaller town. And one Sunday morning, my elder, one of my elders called me, and he said, uh, have you heard anything about Bud Thomas? And I said, no, why? And he said, well, his obituary's in the paper. And I said, really? Again, small town, small church. Nobody went into the hospital. Nobody coughed without us knowing something was wrong. And I said, surely he didn't pass away and none of us know it. So I tried to call his house. I tried to call his sons who also went to church with us, but to no avail. So I went to church and I stood in the back and greeted people like I always did. And in walks Bud Thomas. And we had a, we had a laugh about it. I said, oh, back from the dead, Bud Thomas. And he started laughing because he knew exactly what I was talking about. Believe it or not, there is another Bud A. Thomas in Purdy, Missouri, the same age. And that's who had passed away. And I said, but you know, Bud, there was something in that obituary that applies just as much to you as it does to the other Bud Thomas. And he said, what's that? And I said, funeral arrangements pending. Because that applies to every single one of us, doesn't it? It may not be today or tomorrow, but it applies to every single one of us. Funeral arrangements pending. We all fall down. But Christ guarantees that we get up as well. I want you to... Read with me in the book of Revelation. It was read a moment ago, but still, I think we should look at it again. Verses 17 and 18. This is written by John on the Isle of Patmos. He's exiled there because of his faith. And we find these words in the back of our Bible, in the book of Revelation. It says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. How important is confidence? It's a difference maker, isn't it? I mean, I don't much like the New England Patriots, but when I watch them play and they're down by three in the fourth quarter with two minutes to go, I feel pretty confident that Tom Brady's going to do something amazing. He's that good. Bill Belichick is that good of a coach. It's the difference maker in the whole thing, the confidence that it gives you that you have him under center. It's kind of like when I was growing up and watching the, the Chicago Bulls. Michael Jordan was the best player on any floor, any night. If he had the ball in his hands, you knew something great was going to happen. Tiger Woods, maybe even before this past weekend, although that was great, but you, you look at him in his prime. You felt like if he was leading on Sunday, he was going to win. How important is confidence? It makes all the difference. And Jesus is the difference maker on our team because that's what a church is. It's a team united in a common purpose for a common goal. And Jesus is the difference maker for our team. And he is overwhelmingly confident in that he destroyed death for all time. And we should have that confidence as well. We should believe in him because he says, I was dead and now I'm not anymore. Think about the confidence of Jesus 
And in just a moment, we're going to see, it seems like the confidence is oozing out of his pores as he speaks. He owns death. And when you own something, they give you the keys to it. If you own a car, you own a house, they give you the keys to it, don't you? Jesus owns death. He has the keys to death in Hades, which guarantees that you will never be locked or imprisoned in death in Hades. Because you have Christ on your side. Notice John chapter 2, verses 18 and following. It says, The Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It took us 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. We worship a Lord who has no fear in death. Now understand, death is the enemy. It wasn't supposed to be this way. I think sometimes we try to, try to embrace death as if, as a Christian, you should just uh, memorialize it and you should treat it as your friend because it means you get to go home. No, death is not your friend. Death's the enemy. It was never supposed to be this way. And Jesus said, but death doesn't have the last word. Death doesn't win here. I am the resurrection and the life, and I'll prove it to you. Kill me. Kill me, and I'll come back to life. How's that for a sign? Then notice what 1 Corinthians 15, 20 and following says. Paul writes, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. Death is the last enemy, and we already know its fate. We know that death does not win. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to speculate. We don't have to be afraid. Death will be destroyed, and the difference maker in all of it is Jesus Christ. So also in Christ, all will be made alive. Death came through Adam, and if it wasn't for Jesus, we'd all be taking a dirt nap for eternity. But because of Jesus, we don't have to be worm dirt. Because of Jesus, we get to spend eternity with him, right? Think about that. Dwell on that. Pray about that. Read about it. Study about it. Because here's the thing. It may have looked like death was going to win at one point. I'm sure to the people that were watching Jesus be crucified, they thought that death was winning. I'm sure when they laid him in the tomb, they thought that death had won. But you can't keep a good man down. Jesus rose from the dead to claim that victory. Death died at the hands of Jesus. And the tomb being empty means that heaven is occupied. Let me ask you something. Very personal question. Have you ever, have you ever asked, where were you, God? You ever asked that question at the grave of a loved one? Where were you? Where were you when when my husband was going through chemotherapy? Where, where were you when my marriage was in shambles? Where were you when my life was falling apart? Where were you when I needed you the most? I mean, that's what Martha is asking Jesus in John chapter 11. Where were you, Lord? If you had been here, none of this would have happened. 
Notice what it says, John eleven twenty and 21. Martha, therefore, when she had heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then verse 32, therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Where were you, Lord? Where were you? If, if you had been here, none of this would have happened. It could have been different, Lord. What took you so long? You see, Lazarus wasn't the only one dead that day. Mary and Martha's hope was dead in that moment, at least in some respects, right? We've all been there. I mean, think about it. Have you ever asked that question? You've been in Mary and Martha's shoes, haven't you? Lord, where were you? Where were you when my marriage was in the toilet? Where, where were you when I lost everything? If you'd have been here, if you'd have been here, my, my spouse wouldn't have died. Where were, you when, where were you when my stepfather molested me? Where were you? If you had been here, things could have been different. Notice verses 38 and 39. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. The King James Version renders it, Lord, by this time he stinketh. Death always stinketh. You can spray Febreze in its direction. You can put up an air freshener, but death always stinketh. It's disgusting. It's ugly. And Jesus saw what it did to people he loved, which is why he wept. Even Jesus recognized the stench of death for what it was. Mary and Martha wondered where Jesus was. We wondered the same thing. Where were you? It didn't have to be this way. Why did he have to lay in the tomb for four days? Why does he stinketh? Why weren't you here? And I want you to picture Jesus looking at Martha and saying, Martha, it's going to be okay. He's going to live again. And Martha responds with a very theological answer, doesn't she? She knew her theology. I know he's going to rise again in the last day because, you know, Jewish... Orthodox Jews, they understood a general resurrection of the dead. But Jesus, I can imagine, takes her chin and lifts it up so that she's looking him in the eyes. And he says, no, Martha, listen. He's going to live again right now. In just a moment, I'm going to raise him from the dead. Consoling her in that moment to say, look, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Understand what he's saying. He's saying I am, he's not saying I am able to raise him from the dead if I want to. He's not saying I specialize in resurrections. Jesus is saying I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection is a who. It's a person. It's me. I am the resurrection. I don't just do resurrections. I am the resurrection and the life. There is no resurrection without me. Because of me, Lazarus is going to conquer death. Now and even when he dies later. And that's something all of us need to hear. Do you believe this? 
Because it's the supreme question surrounding the resurrection. Do you believe that God sent his only begotten son to this earth some 2,000 years ago, that he was crucified, that he died, that he was buried, and the third day he rose again, that he appeared to many, that he ascended into heaven, that now he is seated at the right hand of the Father? Do you believe all this? Are you confident in this? Do you base your life on this? Are you staking everything you are on this? Some way... Someday, somehow, all of you are going to have a funeral. You're going to die. And the preacher is going to say some nice words about you. Your loved ones are going to cry and they're going to grieve. And you're going to be dressed up and placed in a casket. People will come by and they will view your body. And then they'll go to the cemetery and say a few more words about you. And they will lower you in the ground, maybe sing some songs. And they'll move on from there. But that part of you that went into the ground is not you. And you know that. That's not who you are. The part of you that is really you lives on for eternity. And you get a new body. And I don't know exactly what that body is going to be like. But you're going to live on for eternity. With the Heavenly Father. You get to experience eternity with God. Do you believe this? Because you see, we often look at death as we're going from the land of the living to the land of the dying. And it's quite the opposite. You're going from the land of the dying to the land of the living. Do you believe this? I know it's hard to believe. I know it's especially hard to believe when, when your loved one is, is stolen from you. And death does that. It steals our loved one from us and leaves us to pick up the pieces and wonder how we're going to go on. I understand it's hard. But listen to this. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. Did you catch that? Even now. Even now, when hope is gone. Even now, when it feels like death is winning. Even now, when, the, when there's struggle to believe. Even now, when your loved one has been dead and in the grave for four days. Even now, there is hope. Even now. Martha, even in her misunderstanding of the whole situation she knew God could do something she knew Jesus could do something she believed even now I know Jesus you can change my circumstances if you really want to do you believe that do you believe that even now our Lord can do something do you believe that even now our Lord is doing something I hope you do you know as much as you'd like you'd you're probably not going to get a physical resurrection, but even now our Lord is working. Even now in the midst of difficult circumstances, we can believe in a resurrected Messiah. Look at it again. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? You're a Christian. So guess what? You will never die. Do you believe this? You will never die. You will never die. Jesus says it right here, but you say, yes, but people die every day. You already talked about, you know, the plague, and you talked about people who die all the time, that we're going to have our own funeral. Yes, but the part of you that dies is not the part of you that matters anyway. The part of you that lives on for all eternity is the soul. Jesus guarantees that. The question is, do you believe it? Do you believe this? 
Some don't. Some refuse to believe. Some have, have said that it's all a hoax and that Jesus never really was the Messiah, that the Messiah really hasn't come. Some believe that Jesus swooned on the cross. In other words, he passed out. That's called swoon theory. He passed out on the cross. When they laid him in the tomb, the fresh, cool air got to him and woke him up. And somehow he moved that big stone and he went to India and preached until he died. People believe that. Not us. The only reason we're here this morning is because we believe in the resurrection, the single most important event in the history of our world. It changed everything. It even changes the way we calculate time. You notice that on a calendar, A.D. and B.C.? I mean, it changes the way that we, that, that we do everything in life, right? I mean, do you remember Timothy McVeigh, the guy that, uh, that detonated the bomb at the uh, Oklahoma City Federal Building, the Murrah Federal Building in 1995? You know, Timothy McVeigh was convicted and sentenced to death. He was killed in 2001 by lethal injection. No one saw Timothy McVeigh load those explosives into that Ryder rental truck. As far as we know, no one saw him park the truck there and leave it and then detonate the bomb, blowing the place up. 137 people testified at his hearing, but no one saw it. A bombs expert said he had residue on his clothing. One gentleman said, yeah, he talked to me a few days before about how he was going to blow up the federal building because he was mad at the government, but no one personally saw it. And yet, he was convicted and put to death. I mean, we have considerably more evidence concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and yet people still want to take stabs at it. They still want to critique it because they believe if they can dismiss the resurrection, then they erase the foundation of everything that we believe. The resurrection is true, and there is convincing evidence. I mean, you, you think about this. If you were to just read the Bible, forget about all the theories out there, just read the Bible. If you start with Scripture, where's it going to lead you? Forget about what you've heard. If you just buy into Scripture, if you just read through the Bible, you're going to see the evidence points to a risen Savior, a resurrected Messiah. Do you believe it? Because what you believe about the resurrection, how you live right here, right now, will determine where you spend eternity. Where you spend eternity is based on how you live right here, right now. So start with Scripture. What do you find? What do you see? I think you'll see the evidence is convincing. On February 27th, 1991, Ruth Dillow got the phone call that no parent wants to get. It was uh, from the U.S. Army. Her son Clayton had been fighting in Operation Desert Storm and was killed instantly when he stepped on a landmine. For three days, Ruth Dillow could not be consoled. She was beside herself with grief. And then three days later, she got another phone call. Mom, it's me. And at first she thought it was a cruel joke until she stayed on the line and kept talking. It was indeed her son. There was a horrible mistake. Clayton was not dead. In fact, he was very much alive, and he was explaining to his mother, look, you don't have to be sad. I'm here. I'm alive. I'll be seeing you soon. Sound familiar? You know, it had to look like death was going to win when Jesus was laid in that tomb. But what was the worst day became the best day three days later when he rose again, showing victory over sin and death. 
claiming that victory that we can all have. Do you believe this? It's the eternal question. Do you believe this? And are you willing to stake your lives on it? Are you willing to buy in completely? Jesus is a difference maker. Our confidence is found in him. I don't know what brought you here this morning. I am well aware that attendance on Easter Sunday and on Christmas rises. I understand that. But I'm glad you're here. Regardless of the reason you're here, maybe you were drug here because, you know, your, your wife or your mother or somebody said, you're going to church with me on Easter. I, I'm still glad you're here. I don't care why you're here. I'm glad you came. How can we help you? Because this is a family that loves people, and this is a family that will help you in your healing, especially if you're spiritually sick this morning. If you need prayer, if you need to experience spiritual resurrection, we want to help you. Folks, listen to me. Even now, the Lord is alive and he is working. Buy in. Come now as we stand and as we sing.